Please turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 8. We are in a series on the prophets Elijah and Elisha, 2 Kings chapter 8. You'll find that on page 314 in your pew Bibles. We pick up in the life of a Shunammite woman. She was living in the region of Israel, but was a Gentile. We first are introduced to her back in chapter 4 of this same book, 2 Kings, and we'll see a little bit about that later on. Let's hear the word of the Lord, 2 Kings 8 and verse 1. Now Elisha had said to the woman whose son she had restored to life, Arise and depart with your household, and sojourn wherever you can, for the Lord has called for a famine, and it will come upon the land for seven years. So the woman arose and did according to the word of the man of God. She went with her household and sojourned in the land of the Philistines seven years. At the end of the seven years, when the woman returned from the land of the Philistines, she went to appeal to the king for her house and her land. Now the king was talking with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, Tell me all the great things that Elisha has done. And while he was telling the king how Elisha had restored the dead to life, behold, the woman whose son had restored whom he had restored to life, appealed to the king for her house and her land. And Gehazi said, My lord, O king, here is the woman, and here is her son, whom Elisha restored to life. And when the king asked the woman, she told him. So the king appointed an official for her, saying, Restore all that was hers, together with all the produce of the fields from the first day, that she had left the land until now. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, we call upon you by the work of your Spirit to open up to us this word written so long ago for your people who were in exile. For a people that would have been considered homeless and who needed a gracious word from you. Father, we're asking that you'd be pleased to visit us this morning and bring this word to us afresh today. For we need you and we need your word. And we ask for your presence now in Christ's name. Amen. When I say to you the word home, what comes to your mind and your heart? Where does your mind and your heart run? Think about that for a moment. Perhaps the house you grew up in with the parent or the parents and the siblings that you had. Perhaps the city, the town, the neighborhood, your streets, your church, your school. For some of us, there never was that idyllic home. 
And when the word home is spoken to us, it is difficult. For some of you, you think of the house that you're in now or all of the homes that you've moved to and from. In the foyer of our house, we have watercolors hanging on the walls that are of all the homes that we have lived in for the last 43 years as a family together. They ground our memories and they take us back in time. I want you to wrestle with this question with me. Why do we as humans make homes? Aside from the simple fact that we need a place to live, why do we have this nesting instinct to make homes? Well, ultimately, here is why. It is factory installed in your DNA by your creator that you were meant to be home. That's why we make homes. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, were home with the Lord in Eden. But paradise, home, was forfeited through unbelief. They were exiled from their home, and we with them have been searching for home ever since. In our text, this Shunammite woman was sent into exile, and her return home and her restoration gives us a wonderful glimpse into this biblical theme of coming home, of God's undeserved gift of restorative grace that brings us to our true and lasting home. Now, we might say that to be human is to experience homesickness. Every one of us does. All of us have those seasons where the nostalgic to go back home actually troubles us. And this is a God-installed longing that is meant to awaken us to the home that is truly home, not a temporary home. The Shunite woman's story is one that in a true sense beckons all of us to see in our spiritual story the details of the Lord's providence to her and to us. So as we dive into this historical narrative, I want to give you clear credit to some others. This doesn't happen very often, but it did in this past week as I was preparing for this message. I had finished my research. I had prepared my outline. I was working on the text that I would bring to the pulpit, and I was simply dissatisfied with where it was. And so I scoured the internet for sermons that I might listen to on this text, and oddly enough, as some of you will know, Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City has multiple campus locations. Often they're preaching on the same text, and so I had the privilege of finding three sermons from different ministers at Redeemer Presbyterian Church, listening to all three of them and the various insights that they had. And so the sermon this morning is uh, really um, a synthesis of four men, myself and these other three brothers from whom I learned much. And we were all captivated by the beauty of this text. And so I will use a good deal of their thoughts this morning 
And we're going to unfold the narrative along three lines for our souls. Here's the first. That our souls must embrace this morning the God-installed longing that each of us has to be home. A God-installed longing that each of us has to be home. As I said, to be human is at times to be homesick. And that's not just a nostalgic longing to go back to things in the past. Think about it this way. A longing to go forward to things that we have not yet experienced, but have this inner longing for. Elisha graciously warns this Shunammite woman of God's impending discipline upon Israel in the form of a seven-year famine. Now, we're going to pass right over that, but that, that is a sermon in and of itself. That God was warning this woman and had warned the Israelites that if their disobedience persisted, his discipline and his judgment would fall upon them, and it will do so. But this woman was warned by the prophet. Now, we go back to chapter 4, and you'll notice that she is introduced to us as a wealthy woman. Her husband is older. She and her husband build a room on the roof of their home so that when Elisha and Gehazi, his servant, come through, that they would entertain him and take care of them. And so the prophet asks her, what can I do for you? And her answer is, my life is good. I have a home among my people, and my people take care of us. But the prophet asks Gehazi, what might we do for her? And he says, her husband is old and she has no children. And so the promise is made to her through Elisha that she will have a son by this time next year. And of course, the text goes on to tell us of his birth. He grows older and he goes out into the field with his father and perhaps it's heat stroke. We don't know exactly what it is, but he dies. And she's heartbroken. And Elisha raises her son to life. And that's the background story to what we come to in our text this morning. Her life had been somewhat idyllic because of Elisha's ministry to her. But now she'll be forced from her home and become a wanderer amidst the Philistines for seven years. Now, as we would do, she must certainly wonder, where will I live? How will I be taken care of? If I get to come back, will my people be here? Will my house be here? Will my land be available? Every one of us has an innate fear of homelessness. The power of home, a sense of it, shapes so many of our longings and our decisions. It's why when we encounter the story of a homeless orphan, not just an orphan, not just someone who is homeless, but a homeless orphan, it tugs at our hearts as nothing else does. Home is the place that we belong. It is a refuge. It's a place of memories. It anchors us. It's a place of permanence. 
And the Shunammite woman and her family are now dislocated. They're uprooted. They're losing that sense of safety and of rootedness. Now, I want you to capture this truth with your heart with me. Every time in history a person goes through a transition from one home to another or into uncertainty about where home is, there is an echo there of Eden. When Adam and Eve were sent away by God into exile from what had been their home. Every loss of home, every disruption of our sense of place is truly connected to the fact that Eden was factory installed in our hearts by our creator and its beauty and its security had been lost. Don't you feel it? And not just feel it, don't you sense that so many of the decisions that you make in life that surround this idea of home and security and rootedness have so little to do with the actual home that you live in, but that which you are seeking that is far bigger and far more eternal than your home. Now remember the context of 2 Kings as it was written. The context is that the people of the Lord are in exile in Babylon. This is a story that spoke to their situation. They were refugees wanting to go back home. Picture the Israelite people today who are hostages of Hamas. Can you not imagine that all day long what they think about is the reality of trying to get home? These people were grieving in exile and loss. That's the theme of the book of Lamentations. In fact, one way to summarize the whole of the Bible is, described, is to describe it as a story of exile and a story of restoration. In Genesis 2 and 3, men and women are in rebellion against the Father and exiled from Eden. And the rest of Scripture is God's unfolding plan to bring back his lost and homeless people. Now in verse 3, we see that as soon as the famine began to recede after seven years, the Shunammite woman, in her longings, returns back to her roots, her former home place, she is now much more likely to be poor rather than wealthy. Her husband is never spoken of again. She may, in fact, be widowed. And she goes back to her home to see if something of old can be resurrected like her son had. Now, in the ancient Near East, if land was forfeited, it often reverted to the crown. And so that's why she's going back to the king. She doesn't go to the land and speak to the people who, who came and set up house on her land, but she goes to the king to cry out for her plight. And that's a major theme throughout the scripture that parallels our passage, the spiritual longing that we have to finally be home, to be where we are secure, to be accepted where we have roots and permanence and belonging, to shed our status as orphans 
and as the homeless. Since Eden and the rebellion of our first parents, we have been spiritually exiled from the Lord. And like this woman, we want to go back home. Spiritually speaking, every one of us has been brought into this world as an orphaned and a homeless child from the moment of your conception. That's how you began life. Needing a home that is truly home, the Father's home. And we're born into a spiritual famine in our souls, thrust from the Father's house, and endlessly restless until we are in his home again. So first then, this morning, the Shunammite woman of old, and you and I, we have a God-installed longing to be at rest and to be at home, which we cannot fix ourselves. Our second theme for our souls to embrace is the promise of the king to bring us home. The promise of the king to bring us home. Now, as a brief aside, I want you to notice the remarkable and encouraging providence of the details of this woman's life. As she returns home, she goes to the king to appeal and to cry out for the return of what had been hers before the devastation of the famine. Look at the details in verses 4 and 5. Now the king was talking with the Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, Tell me all the great things that Elisha has done. Now in that very moment, while he was telling the king, Elisha had restored the dead to life. Behold, the woman whose son he had restored to life appealed to the king for her house and her land. My lord, the king, here as the woman and her son. At the very moment she comes to plead her case, in that moment, Gehazi is recalling that providence in real time and space. And in she walks with her son. The timing is perfect, and the king is overwhelmed by the convergence of this miraculous story and the people of the story. And in that moment... He restores to her her home and her land. Now I want you to shift with me in your your mind's eye. Turn with me to the Gospel of John and to chapter 14. That's page 901 in your pew Bibles. A big shift. Our point here is that the king's promise to restore her home and land came true. Now turn with me to to John 14, verses 1 through 3, and let's read this together. Here in this majestic, bold declaration of Jesus is the promise of our king to bring us home. Jesus says to his disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. The Shunammite woman was troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself That where I am, you may be also. 
Now remember in chapter 13 that Jesus tells his disciples that he is going to be betrayed and killed and they're deeply grieved, they're troubled and they're confused. If you belong to Jesus Christ by a childlike trust in his kingship, this is the promise of an eternal home to which he is assuredly bringing you no matter what your confusion, no matter what your trouble, no matter what your difficulty. To our troubled, restless, fearful, grieving, confused hearts, Christ our King tells us that he is restoring what has been lost. Now look quickly and briefly at these three verses with me. Four things that I want you to see that Jesus is restoring. In the first place, he says that we are called to believe with the Father. That as we believe in the Father, we also are to believe in him. Every word from his mouth. He says, you believe in God? Wonderful. Believe also in me, for it is the Father who sent me. Second, notice that eternity is a real, touchable, tangible home. It's the Father's house. It's where he dwells. It is the only permanent, unchangeable place that exists. Third, notice it's a place of abundance. There's an abundance of rooms that Christ has prepared for every one of his people. And notice simply forth that it is a place of community, a place of the blood-bought. Could I put it this way in light of Thanksgiving past and Christmas to come? All the brothers and sisters, all the aunts and uncles, all the parents and grandparents of the faith are going to be present, every single one of them. Our lives revolve so deeply around this attempt to be permanently rooted, to be at rest. And you're made to want this. But our broken and idolatrous hearts are ever turning this eternal longing into a temporary and temporal one. But guess what? The Lord lovingly frustrates every attempt we make to settle for less than his dwelling place where he is our rest and peace. In our relationships, in our possessions, in the places where we are, we look for fulfillment that can never ultimately come. Why? Because God has made you to have your fulfillment in him and in his presence. So every attempt here, this side of the eternal kingdom of heaven, to make home here as a permanent home, God will faithfully frustrate. Because it's his desire that your home be with him. Now every home that we experience in this life is a small foretaste of the believer's true home. But conversely, every loss of home and the permanence that we experience in this life is God's call not 
to allow our hearts to settle for the temporary, but to long for the permanence of his presence. And just a note, the power of this promised home is not just in its future coming. For the gospel has planted this hope in our new hearts. We have had this eternal rest planted even now by the Holy Spirit as a profound encouragement. Our passage four times in the Hebrew describes God as the life giver. Your English verb to restore appears four times in this passage. Even now, dear believer, the first fruits of this restored eternal home are written on the tablet of our hearts if we belong to Christ. Let me read of it from Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to what? To a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who are guarded by God's power. What a beautiful description of the present eternal hope. So we have a God-installed longing for our true home. And we have the promise of the king that he will bring us home. But last this morning, how is it that we arrive safely at home? Must we make our own way home? Or is there a better way? Is there possibly a guaranteed way home? Well, look with me at our text in verse 6 of 2 Kings. And when the king asked the woman, that is, when he asked her, is in fact this true? She told him yes. And so the king appointed an official for her, saying, Restore all that was hers, together with all the produce of the fields, from the day that she had left until now. When the king confirmed with her that she and her son were in fact the very people of Elisha's miraculous story, he granted her cry for help. He set up a court official over her case, made certain that she would receive not only her land and her home, but the added grace of all the seven years of income that might have been produced had she still lived there. You see, the Shunammite woman needed an advocate with power, with authority, with compassion, with mercy, who would take up a personal interest in her case. And in a remarkable, extraordinary providence, she gets it. Now, please don't miss this. She gets home because of the might and the mercy of another. She gets her home back because of the might and the mercy of another. Her story is one of being grafted in as a Gentile and receiving radical grace. What is restored to her is more than she could have imagined. 
But you, dear believer, and only believers, we also have a king with the authority of a father to take up our case of mercy in the restoration of what was forfeited. God the Father grants our restoration, our homecoming. He removes our soul's homesickness for the sake of his true prophet and his only son, the one greater than Elisha. Dear ones, I ask you as believers, why do we not celebrate more the life that is to come, that is planted within us now, and why do we not look forward to the day of our demise? the day of our death. When we had forfeited and gone into a foreign land as prodigal sons and daughters, we are now restored. We come to the Father's house robed, sandaled, with heaven rejoicing because we are now home for Jesus' sake. And all that we had lost and far more is given to us. Why do we not long for that? Why do we try to set up day after day after day these homes and these lives and these relationships and these possessions that we think will finally Make us come home. Jesus left the ultimate home of eternity with the Father and the Spirit, and he was exiled into our flesh. That by his resurrection and life and death, he could bring us to our true home. Not a house, not a street with memories, but a glorious home of the new Jerusalem, the new heavens and the new earth, where God is the center of everything. You see, our restlessness, our fears, our anxieties, the idolatries of our heart are all in one sense an outgrowth of our lack of seeing that our true home has surely been promised and it's coming. Hear that again. Our anxieties, our fears our restlessness, in some sense they're all connected to the fact that we have failed to see that our true home awaits us and has already been planted in our hearts. And so we no longer invest in these relationships, in our homes, in our possessions, the requirement that they fulfill us and make us secure. No, we can enjoy them as a foretaste of the greater restoration that the king has for us. We're freed to see every blessing that the king has given to us as a way to serve him here and now in preparation for what he has bestowed for the days to come. One of the men to whom I listened quoted Johnny Erickson Tata. Of course, she is the founder of Johnny and Friends. She speaks about the future, the kingdom of heaven, and she wrote this. Let us not get too settled and too satisfied about the good things here on earth. Listen to her image. 
They are only the tinkling sounds of the orchestra that is warming up. The real music is about to break into heavenly symphony, and its prelude is only moments away. It's hard to believe, isn't it? That however short this life is, we think it lasts forever. But this life is the warm-up and the first few measures of the prelude. And the symphony is yet to come. The span of our life is but a breath, and often we try to wrestle from these few short days all of the fulfillment of our life for here and now. But there is a restoration, there is a place, there is a presence of God that is going to embarrass every single thought that you have ever had that you could make this your home. I want to close with the summary of some applications made by the great American theologian and pastor, Jonathan Edwards. If America has produced a worldwide theologian, it would be Jonathan Edwards. And at one point he was applying thoughts to the idea of the kingdom of heaven. And one of the pastors at Redeemer Prez had synthesized these thoughts, and so I bring them to you. The first is, hold on to the things of this world Loosely. Hold on to the things of this world loosely and have them when you have them only for Jesus' sake. Jonathan Edwards was saying, loosen your grip and whatever you grip, have it for Jesus' sake. Everything that you touch is temporary. And the permanence that you and I long for is coming. Second, learn much about heaven. Now the way to hold something loosely is to be captivated by something greater. And so the way to hold this life loosely is to be captivated by heaven and heaven's king. To be captivated by the glory of God so that the great love and the great longing puts everything else in its place. Third, seek heaven only through the power of Christ. What did Edwards mean? He meant that you are not too bad to be kept out of heaven if you are connected to Christ. But he also meant you are not too good to get into heaven apart from Christ. Seek heaven only through the power of Christ. And then fourth, I was struck by this last one. Help one another on to heaven. Help one another on to heaven. If you were to go on a pilgrimage, a long journey, pilgrimage is made best by the company that you keep. And we are on a pilgrimage. 
Pilgrims love company. It's greatly prized. And in no other journey than this journey as a believer is the company we keep to be more prized. Let's help one another on to heaven. Brothers and sisters, Jesus, the one greater than Elisha, heals your longings. And he promises to bring you home. Let's pray together. Father, how we thank you for our king who has pronounced that our exile is over. That our homelessness is in the past. That all that was lost and forfeited and much more has been restored. Oh Lord God, by the work of your spirit, please, please enable us to live in light of the fact that these things are true. And now we take up our closing hymn and ask that you would make it our prayer as we reflect on our lives and give praise to you. We pray it in Christ's name.